Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear Hank and Roman. I don't need to be first. I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> it's a podcast where two brothers and sometimes a brother and a guest answer your questions, give you debuse advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Roman, uh, I heard that once you were at a bar and you were ordering drinks and, and you just held up two fingers and then the waiter brought you five drinks. Do you know why? <laughs> because I'm Roman Mars. Because he thought you were using Roman numerals. Because <laughs> it looks like a, a v. I love it. It works well. <laughs> <laughs> everyone, everyone, I'm sure that everyone always thinks you're using Roman numerals. I didn't even think about the fact that your name was Roman Mars until I was writing that joke. I was like, Ro- wow, Roman Mars. What a name. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan of Mars. Is Mars a Roman god or is he Greek? Um, Mars is a Roman god. I think Ares is the equivalent okay. in Greek mythology. Yeah. That's yeah. definitely something you should know. <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, when most people are making fun of my name, they'll say, they'll say, oh, is it 99% visible with Greek Ares? That's what they usually do when they're uh, trying to do a, like a little thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad I didn't do that. I could easily have come up with that joke, but I didn't. It didn't even occur to me. Roman Mars is the host of 99% Invisible, a legendary podcast that continues to make lots of really amazing uh, content. Whenever I think to myself, um, "What? Well, I'm bored. I don't have anything to do. Uh, I think, but I haven't listened to every episode of 99% Invisible. <laughs> so there is... There is acres of curiosity and happiness to be had just around the corner. All I have to do is push like six buttons in a row. <laughs> it does require six buttons, unfortunately, these days still. <laughs> but yeah. but still, yeah I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm grateful you listen. That's great. Well, I, could, I, mean, we sh- I should be able to shut, set up some kind of shortcut where I can just like tap my glasses and <laughs> your voice begins. Well, I should say that Dear Hank and John is like between me and my twins we listen to this in the car like exclusively and wow. this is like a very big deal show to them they do not listen to 99 percent invisible <laughs> like, they have no interest <laughs> in it whatsoever they only listen to dear hank and john so this is like a, a very a real honor to be here and, and they will be so cool. excited well that is an honor to be your family podcast how yeah. old are they they're 15 years old i have twins maslow and carver okay. they're 15 years old uh i haven't come up with one for I'm my five-year-old yet because yeah. our our tastes do not consistently overlap <laughs> when it comes to podcasts. Or many things, I would imagine. Yeah. A lot of the music he likes, I'm like, wow, that's great. <laughs> I the, didn't get a true love for pop music, like kind of teeny pop music until my kids sort of mm-hmm. entered into that age of like yeah. five, six. And, and those Disney Channel theme songs, you're like, these oh, are yeah. really good. <laughs> you know, like, Somebody worked really hard on this. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that, that like there were experts involved. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I like that about your work too, um, that it reminds me that there are experts involved in so much and that, that oftentimes I will see a decision that was made. And uh, before 
listening to 99% Invisible, I might look at that and be like, what a stupid thing that choice was. <laughs> but now I listen and I'm like, I bet there was a very good reason why they did it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the, the premise of the show or why it's called 99% Invisible. It's about design is that most of the time when it's good design, you don't notice it's it's invisible. Mm-hmm. The things that work, you don't notice. And the things you yeah. bang your head up against, you do notice. And so you kind of run across bad design a little bit more. Like there's more friction with right. bad design See and you think more. about it and yeah. hate it and and stuff like that and it is probably likely that there is you know like a a good amount of of thought that went into the even the ones that you don't like for some other reason some other constraint yeah Yeah. it was not it was it's bad for me but it's probably good for for like (laughs) the flow of water or something (laughs) exactly because it turns out uh it's important gosh it turns out it's really important to get the water out of the cities (laughs) it is that's one of the most important things very expensive problem exactly (laughs) Um, so I've learned a great deal from you and I appreciate, uh, and also I've learned a lot from, uh, just how you, you know, work and the, the work that you do and the creative enterprise that you have created. I love hearing from a, a variety of voices on 99PI that, and, and like that you have been able to take this thing that was in your head and, and make it a thing that other people can do as well. Oh, thank you. It seems like that's the case anyway. And I assume that yeah, you don't no, have it's... like a hundred percent control over everything that happens on the podcast. <laughs> Yeah. No, we try to build a little community around people yeah. and, and promote people. And yeah. I'm I'm just a huge fan of podcasting and radio in general. Like I got into this because I really, truly loved it. I love the sound of people's voices. I love them talking. Mm-hmm. I love learning new things. I'm like, a, I'm a sponge for that sort of stuff. And, and so anytime we can sort of create more of that in the world, I'm super, super happy or, 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 or like promote whatever it is. It, it makes me really pleased. Yeah. Speaking of design, I have a question. It comes from Chrissy. Who asks? Hi, guys. That was not specific. Chrissy didn't know who she was going to reach. So there are a ton of people in the world who do not enjoy the task of flossing or brushing their teeth. Do you think it would be possible to create a Roomba for teeth for all of us lazy people out there? I get that it would be expensive to accidentally swallow a tiny robot, but there must be a way. Nine out of ten dentists recommend Chrissy. Um, I don't think it's a good idea to have it be a tiny robot. No, I don't think so either. But that doesn't mean that it's not a good idea. In fact, I was like, I wonder, somebody must have thought of this. Somebody said to themselves, the toothbrush is 500 years old. There has to be a better way to do it. And, uh, And indeed, I can't remember what it was called, but it looks like a mouth guard. That you that you stick in and it's on the on a wand yeah and then it just like jiggles mm-hmm. and then you turn it upside down and it jiggles your bottom teeth and you're done in 30, 30 seconds it says it it's like <laughs> it's in part pitched as an efficiency play where it's like you spend too much time <laughs> are you tired of all the time you waste a minute a day brushing your teeth cut it in half uh, yeah. and also it's pitched as a your your children are terrible at this don't let them be yeah the the sort of uh, idea of a robot sort of uh, violating your uh, personal body space <laughs> to make <laughs> you floss do, do seems not. like a, a big mistake <laughs> but, but but there have been real changes in um in toothbrushes in particular like for a long time those like toothbrushes were really skinny the handles were really skinny mm-hmm. and they were yeah, uh the, like the, the big innovation in uh, toothbrush design was like the reach toothbrush in the 70s yep. that, that was mm-hmm. angled but it was angled uh like a dental do you remember the advertisements i kind of do like where you you can either get a flip top head <laughs> or you can get a reach toothbrush right but those yeah. those were made to look like dental tools that somebody else used on you not for you to hold in your hand Uh, they they were kind of like a weird like Mm -hmm. it was mainly using the aesthetics of a dental tool and 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 then much later on the the um they came up with the fat handle toothbrush because they realized that sort of hand kinesthesiologists felt that toothbrushes were like a little too uh too narrow and they would roll in your hand and stuff like that and fat toothbrushes came around and the big objection to fat toothbrushes was that a lot of mid-century modern homes had actual toothbrush holders <laughs> yeah, yeah, in yeah, your yeah. bathroom that were uh-huh. like built in by the construction company and they didn't fit. <laughs> yeah, it was like it was a t- it was a tile yeah. that was meant to like modularly exist with all the other tiles. But those did not fit fat toothbrushes. Yeah, and you can't just go get like an angle grinder <laughs> and and just open it up a little no. bit. And so that was a big like moment of friction when they introduced the fat handled toothbrush. And uh and I remember when the when the fat handled toothbrush came out, the company that released them actually 
you could mail in for a little stand to put your toothbrush on in case your uh, your your home didn't have the right sized uh, toothbrush holder. So these are the, the the cascading effects of like any type of yeah. device that you get and how it interacts with the bell rest the built world is a, is a fascinating thing. <laughs> yeah, and and now you can use use that little toothbrush holder to hold your mouth scrubber. That's right. <laughs> that you like on the end of a wand that you just shove into your mouth and sit there yeah. while you, I assume, listen to 99% Invisible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I, the, the, the big mistake here is efficiency. I've never seen anyone um, create enough efficiency in their life to do something uh, really great with that. So just take your time, do your toothbrush. I find that I floss a lot more when I have some kind of dental problem. And I think that flossing is going to keep me from, you know, the edge of oblivion. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But, that's probably the wrong way to do it, but yeah, I agree. Exactly, you know, and but but that's it, and that's the only thing that gets me to floss. I uh, I understand you. I I floss um, two weeks after and two weeks before any dental appointment, and that is it. Exactly, <laughs> my real strategy. All right, Roman, I have another question for you. It's it's from Edward who asks, "Dear Hank and Roman, I understand that Hubble's law of cosmic expansion says that all galaxies are expanding away from each other." Do you? <laughs> I understand that. I understand that, that that someone has told me this. But is there anything between the galaxies? Are there any lone planets or dust, or is it just completely empty space? And if there was anything, how would we know? Like, do we have any proof that the space between galaxies isn't just filled with a bunch of chickens? Maybe that's why all the galaxies are expanding. It's the chickens, and it's scaring the galaxies away. Not an Ed letter, but an Ed word. Wow. It's Ed word. This is all you. <laughs> it's all, yeah. Do you know that the galaxies are moving apart from each other? Yes, that I know. Do you know that there is lots of like mostly it's space between galaxies yes. and not galaxies? Yes. And there's a, it's a, there's a lot more stuff in a galaxy than not than than like there is stuff in areas where there's a similar sized area where there wouldn't be a galaxy. It, yeah, that all makes sense. All to of me. these things yeah. are clear. Yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> I've got got us all that far. <laughs> See, I often hear like cubic meters of space. So in like the intergalactic medium is what that's called. There, there's like one, like maybe one particle per cubic meter. And that's almost always a hydrogen ion. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's just a proton. Yeah. Is it, there's like one proton per <laughs> cubic meter, which is about, it's about as empty as you get in our universe, okay. which isn't completely empty. No. There's a proton there. Yeah. And a cubic meter is an understandable volume. Yeah. Like you can picture it in your head if you know what a meter that's is. That's pretty big. That's denser than I thought, actually. Yeah. Yeah. You thought, well, I mean, you may be imagining a proton is bigger than it is. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> I can see it written on a piece of paper. Is that? <laughs> no, but that that makes sense to me. That's a, that's a understandable um, unit of a. Yeah. yeah, and and we know about this because we can see, like, when we look at distant stuff, there's like we can see a little less of it than we otherwise would be able to, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of cubic meters between us and there. Mm-hmm. And there are enough of these protons to absorb just a little bit of the light that's coming off of a quasar from a long way away. The question of whether it's full of chickens <laughs> is an interesting one, though. Because it's definitely not full of chickens in that, like, if you were a chicken, you could see another chicken. Like, that would, to me, like, a chicken being able to, like, see, like, being close enough to another chicken to be like, there's my other space chicken friend, Alfred. That's that is not that full of chickens. Right. But like there is a number of chickens that could be in the intergalactic medium that we wouldn't notice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how how big that number is, but I bet it's bigger <laughs> than you'd think. <laughs> so that's the only thing that this question made me think is like how many chickens would it have to be yeah. before we noticed there it could be full of chickens yeah. we just haven't trained the telescope in the right location yet it well yeah again <laughs> full is a you know right it wouldn't be full if it was full of chickens they would crush themselves into a black hole yeah because that's how gravity works uh, uh, over over time but if it was if it was a few yeah some appreciable amount of chickens, you know. Yeah, you could have like, yeah, I bet you could have like two <laughs> chickens per cubic light year, no problem. Yeah, that would be a whole lot of chickens. And that would yeah. be a lot of chickens wow. in the galaxy. Yeah. 
But anyway, there are there are other things. So it's not just protons. Like that's the average density. So there are also there will be rogue stars in the intergalactic medium that have been ejected from their galaxies. There will be rogue planets that have been ejected from their galaxies. That's just very cool to think about. That like there are there are almost definitely star systems in our universe with no stars in the sky because they are that far away from any galaxy. Hmm. So instead of looking up and seeing stars, they look up and they see pure velvet black with maybe a couple of smudges uh-huh. of distant galaxies. Or, and then hopefully at some point they see a chicken. <laughs> Just floating by. Wouldn't that be so surprising if all the time you saw velvety black and then just a chicken floated by? <laughs> how, much would, how much would that change your world? I mean, it'd be a big deal. It'd be a really big deal. I'd, like, it would especially be a big deal if it were like anatomically and genetically a chicken. Like, that would really, <laughs> that would really throw us for a loop. We'd have a lot of rethinking to do. <laughs> this next question, Roman, it comes from Seth, who asks, "Dear Hank and Roman, we often hear the phrase as science continues to advance." this problem will be easier to solve. What exactly are these scientific advancements that are always supposedly happening, and who is doing the advancing of them? Is it scientists or engineers, or is it maybe computers? I haven't listened back far enough yet to understand pumpkins and penguins, so pears and porcupines, Seth. When Roman emailed me about maybe coming on the podcast, he signed off P&P Roman, which was pretty great. (laughs) That's just to let you know I'm a real fan. I'm not pretending. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Roman, how does uh, what does that mean? Do you do you do you have an idea of of how progress occurs? Uh, scientific advancements? Cuz you think about this in a sort of a historical way. Yeah, well, usually a scientific advancement is is a kind of iterative process and and we get a narrow window into those sort of moments of punctuation when things like um really advance and they sort of percolate up into the sort of consciousness of of you know, popular culture. Um, I, I would mm-hmm. say that, you know, how do scientific advancements, I think one is sort of computing power is a huge one that sort of changed the way that, yeah. that things, um, you know, we can sort of crunch enough numbers to come out with things to model. And I think that's a big part of, of how uh, advancement happens. Um, I'm trying to think of other sort of techniques. There's often these just gigantic movements. Like when I was right before I sort of started grad school, while, while I was in uh, college and studying genetics, PCR polymerase chain reactions has started as a mm-hmm. as a technique mm-hmm. to sort of amplify DNA. And it was this revolution in how people understood DNA and the different assays you could create to to like study small samples of DNA. And it is basically a technique that they took to become like this incredible scientific tool. And these are things just kind of like crop up and happen. And then all of a sudden your ability to like examine new things um, is just increased just, you know, like right. exponentially. Yeah. And then you combine that technology with advances in computing technology with like maybe even advances in like, how do you organize and manage humans technology yeah. uh, and connect humans from like who are in, you know, faraway places who wouldn't normal, normally be sharing research technology and all of that stuff like adds on to each other. Yeah. Yeah. But like the the weird thing is that there is a, there's kind of a sense in, in the way that we talk about it that all of these things are kind of inevitabilities and that, that like progress occurs and that our understanding of the universe continues. But like every single one of those things was done by a person. Oh, for sure. None of like yeah. all, every one of the computers <laughs> yeah, was yeah, done, yeah. was programmed by a person. Uh, and, and like we know that, like we know that objectively, but we it it is often talked about as something that kind of just happened. Mm-hmm. And I think we talk about it that way because because it wasn't done by any one person. Mm-hmm. And so it just seems like it was something that just happened because it was done by tens of thousands of people. And so if there was a story where like one lab came together and you know you can tell that story with PCR, you yeah. can tell the story of how that happened. And, and for example, a great ex- example of this is like the story of how an mRNA protein manufacturing process works where you deliver mRNA into a cell and the cell manufactures the protein that you want it to yeah. or that the doctor wants it to and uh and like that you know is a many decades long process of figuring out how that works and it allowed us to create covid vaccines really fast that were really effective um that have saved you know millions and millions of lives the, but like 
there isn't a person who was responsible for that. <laughs> yeah. And there wasn't even really, there wasn't a lab, there wasn't a school, there wasn't a, you know, it was, it was a truly international and like whole species endeavor to figure that out. And so it, so it seems inevitable and it seems like something that just happens when really it is a, and you can speed these things up by having more people dedicating more time to doing these kinds of things. Totally, totally. And that's one of the best parts about progress and science. And one of the things that, you know, on the show that I do, we don't tend to cover a kind of new design. We tend to cover, it's a basically a history show, you know, wrapped yeah. up in this idea because I'm much more interested in the effects of these types of things rather than, and how it sort of, what it says about us as humans and society, than you know, the story of a great person coming up with a great thing. It's sometimes those yeah. stories are fun to listen to, but they don't really sort of tell you the whole story of most things when it comes to progress. Yeah. I have a question here. It's from Alice. And I don't have an answer. I have a couple of answers that I think are probably bogus. Dear Hank and Roman, what was the first thing bought on the internet? And more importantly, I think for this conversation, do you remember the first thing you ever bought online? (laughs) Yours from the Information Superhighway, Alice. Good old Information Superhighway. It is quite a, it is a, it is quite a highway. It is, the speeds have... I feel like I feel like maybe we need a speed limit. <laughs> in fact, sometimes I do have a speed limit. Like when I'm at, like when I'm on vacation, like the internet's really bad at the hotel I'm at, or on an airplane, and the internet's really slow, or I don't want to pay for yeah. it. But I still have my computer. I'm like, actually, this might be better. Yeah. I'm 56 k might have been the <laughs> ideal speed for information to enter into my device. Yeah. Maybe we should stick with it that. It does sort of you know, limit to the, the limiting the pipeline. Just sort of changes yeah. what you decide that you're going. It's I really feel like it makes me more productive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I looked this up a little bit, and th- there was one source said that it, it was likely a bag of marijuana, <laughs> uh, which does not surprise yeah. me. Mm-hmm. It does sort of seem like what pro- probably the the st- uh, and then another was telling me that it was a a, uh, a CD like a music huh. disc. Uh, that was sold in, in 1994 for $12 and something. And I was like, that's nah, definitely not 1994. Yeah, yeah. It has to be between like, two like professors at, right. you know, UC so-and-so and yeah. whatever, yeah. you know, like back, back when it was, <laughs> you know, the internet, but not the World Wide web. Yeah. 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 And I'm sure like people were by, like kind of doing transactional stuff on bulletin boards before the web was really a thing. The, do you remember what the first thing you bought was? Because I do. Oh, interesting. Well, why don't you tell me yours while I think of mine? Because I think I know what mine might be. I might trigger something for you. I was on CompuServe or possibly America Online. Okay. I think it was CompuServe, uh, which would be cooler. (laughs) (laughs) If you say so. And I, uh, I sent a $5 bill in an envelope through the mail to acquire a Magic the Gathering playing card. Wow. Yeah. Pretty good. Which That's is a lot like... cheaper than it would have cost if I'd gone to uh, Enterprise 1701, which was the uh, dork store in my neighborhood where they <laughs> sold Magic the Gathering cards, which I believe they eventually did have to change that name because <laughs> I'm pretty sure they were not affiliated with the Star Trek folks. <laughs> I think mine is pretty similar. I was, you know, I mail ordered things a lot because I was super into zines and punk rock you know, seven inch singles and CDs and stuff like this. And so when the internet came to, to me, uh, at school, um, it was all about trying to find some, you know, like, you know, cassette tape from a punk band in, mm-hmm. you know, Gilroy, <laughs> California that I just like needed to have. So, um, I, my guess is I'm almost hundred percent sure it was some kind of zine, like some kind of punk rock. Sure. Zine. And, yeah. Because I was always looking for new ways. And the first things I ever did when I was online was look up guitar tabs for how to play you know for that was like i just printed out guitar tabs uh, just to learn how to play songs and that's what i used like 90 percent of my internet time when i first found it but it, this does remind me of something so i went to i started grad school in 1994 and there was some email at oberlin before but but no uh worldwide web basically and i was in my lab and we had internet and I went to, um, I was talking with one of my professors and I was mentioning how I was basically downloading guitar tabs and just looking up things and downloading like little snippets of songs or whatever. And he said to me, 
Yeah, it's really distracting. So what you should do is take the weekend and go through the whole internet and just get it out of your system and be done with it. <laughs> and then you can just get back to work. <laughs> so so, uh-huh. so that is his recommendation that you could just take the weekend and just yeah, be just done. Yeah, just finish it. And <laughs> like I, I've had this with books before where I've been like really distracted thinking all the time and I just finished the book and then I'm less, less obsessed with it. Right. So do that with the internet. Exactly. And I, was, with, I was thinking about scrolling all the way to the bottom of TikTok. I'm, I think I'm going to try to do it. <laughs> I think I'm going to try to get to the end. But that'll give you some, you know, the, the question asker, you know, um, um, Alice, some notion of what the internet was like then, that it was not a completely laughable thought, even though it was a laughable thought, that you could just get through the entire internet um, yeah. in a weekend. Because it's somebody smart who had a PhD told me that that was what should happen. <laughs> so I was, uh, I just got interested in the card that I bought for $5 in <laughs> okay. 1995, probably is when this was. And and um, it was called a Singier Vampire. And if if I had had it, um, from the Alpha edition, which was 1993, which I did not, that card would be today worth $1,200. But I had the revised, which I remember, I got it revi- uh, from the revised edition of, the, of Magic the Gathering. And that card is today worth 23 cents. Wow, that's a big drop off. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so as as with most things, uh, the one that you had probably wasn't yeah. that valuable. My my kids play Magic the Gathering. One of them in particular is is pre- pretty obsessed and every time I get them a box or a pack of something. They'll go through and assess their values, which is a huge part, I think, of Magic mm-hmm. the Gathering. It's just yeah. assessing the values. And they'll say, well, this one is worth, you know, like $30 and almost pays for the whole box. And I was like, it's only worth $30 <laughs> if yeah. you sell it or do something instead yeah. of keep it in a pile in your room. <laughs> so-, <laughs> <laughs> so go immediately. And also, you can't sell it for $30 because you don't own a store. <laughs> exactly. But so, maybe. Yeah. So the, the, um, the assessed values of magic cards have always been somewhat dubious to me <laughs> yeah i mean i yes i was i was legitimately surprised when i thought saw that you could get it for 23 cents which is kind of sad to me that is you've, you've um, lost a lot on that investment yeah, yeah. do you want to give some real advice roman yeah sure let's do it this is from steffi i think um, who asks, Dear Hank and Roman, I am a high school senior planning to go to college next year, and I've narrowed down my decision to two schools. They are both large in-state university with a variety of majors and programs that I am interested in. And they both have good food. How should I choose between these two very similar schools? Stephanately stumped Steffi. <laughs> it was Steffi, because Stephanately. Yes, that's right. Makes me think it was Steffi. How, how do you choose? What do you do in this situation? You got two options. They're the same. Hmm. You have to choose between them. I mean... Because I know what I'd do. Oh, interesting. So I'm, I'm hoping that she went to both of them. You just to check them out. Because there's more than just food. Just like go and like, just like spend a little time there. Yeah, I mean, because there's a vibe at each of them. So how would you choose between two similar or almost the same things? There's a vibe, but I'll, here's what I'll say about my experience at my very small school is that there was a lot of vibes. So yeah. like you go and hang out with one group of people, it's a very different vibe yeah, from a different group. Enough. There was probably like 40 different distinct vibes at a school of 2,000 people. <laughs> so here's what I do. When I'm at a restaurant and they all, all the stuff looks good and I'm having a hard time, I pick the cheaper one. <laughs> so, so I think I think there probably will be a slightly, like a slight, you apply to both these schools you, the, at, at some point, somebody's going to tell you how much they cost. Mm-hmm. And you, I think you should go with the cheaper one. <laughs> I think we don't do well, this enough, with, especially with education. I don't think we, we, bu- don't we buy on price. Education. We should that's do true. it more. We should put some pressure on these institutions yeah. To, yeah. to maybe think about how much they're charging rather than all of the different uh, food options they provide. Because I, their current trajectory is that they're just going to keep charging more forever because apparently we don't care. But I think yeah. we should care. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's totally true. I think I would be much more inclined to think about the area around the town. So this, I, to, I, I thought about this too, Roman. And then I remember yeah. my college experience when I never left campus. <laughs> I really did. So I went okay. to grad school at the University of Georgia in Athens, Georgia. And I went oh, it's a nice town. to Athens, Georgia to yeah. go to Athens, Georgia yeah. as much yeah. as I went to go to grad school there. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I had a major professor that I was following and I wanted to do research in his lab. But like, I would say... 
you know, get the local paper or I guess it's probably not local paper anymore, but get, get, get some kind go of information. Go to the local website that they have go, and find go to thetown.com. And compare the two as to what band or activity or thing is happening next. Just like whatever, mm. what's the, your favorite, you know, like yeah. something that you would love to go to. Yeah. And that was a huge part of my grad school experience let, less so college because i was kind of like at i was at oberlin and oberlin's kind of its own community like you can get out yeah, to oberlin ohio but it's yeah. like it's kind of its own thing but like if you're in a town which most of these big big schools are in a you know like a bigger city or a bigger town or often are um you know like look for an activity and see which one like guides you a little bit is if like a band coming through a comedian coming through something like that because that's, that's one of the things that i just loved about that time in my life was doing that sort of stuff but i think mostly whatever you choose is gonna be fine this is the thing (laughs) this is i mean like there's there's no decision that impacted me more in the rest of my life than where i went to college but at the same time it kind of wasn't that important of a decision like it's like i don't know i would have had a very different life yeah. Um, but like, I, like there was no way for me to know what the right call was. And I really, I went to the school that gave me the most money Yeah, that, you know, I wanted to go to school in Florida cause there was like a Florida specific scholarship and I wanted to go to a small liberal arts school. And I went to the one that gave me the most money. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. That's... And, I, and that accepted me cause several of them didn't. <laughs> so <laughs> you should definitely go to the one that accepts you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I have a question from Greta. I hope that you can advise me because my strategies are not good on this. Dear Hank and Roman, I'm currently trying to pack for a seven-day family vacation to Hawaii. Congratulations. This sounds lovely. My parents are set on not checking any bags, (laughs) and this is proving to be a challenge for me. I'm very prepared. I'm often referred to as the mom friend. However, this seems to be a downfall in my current situation. I know that both of you have done a fair amount of traveling this is for I, Hank and John, no, but it's true of both have, of us yes. as well. And I was hoping that uh, you could uh, give me some advice for how to pack lightly, still be well prepared. I'm not great, but Greta. See, I cannot give good advice here because my strategy is to be deeply unprepared for every situation <laughs> and have my wife be like, you didn't bring sunscreen? You didn't bring you didn't bring that? You didn't, you didn't no ibuprofen at all? Yeah, and I was like, no, yeah. they sell that in Hawaii. Yeah, that's the thing. I can get that for a dramatically increased price when, <laughs> when I arrive right in Hawaii. Hawaii. That's the one thing. I The psychological like pressure release valve of this is... Um, you always have the ability to just buy the thing, like in, especially if you're going to Hawaii. Yeah. Sometimes you don't. Like there are things that you can't like yeah. get your prescription drugs. You need to bring those because it's a pain in the butt to buy them when you go someplace else. Focus on everything that you can't possibly get in other places when you're packing yes. is one thing. Have a list of those yeah. things. You just uh, roll things tightly. Roll tight rolls. Yeah. Tight rolls is a, a big one. You know, focus on the uh-huh. things you need. I just did a vacation to Hawaii with only um, carry-on bags and it worked out okay. You don't need a lot of things. You just need like, you know, kind of a couple of swimsuits and a couple of uh, right. some some clothes. And most places have, uh, if you stay at an Airbnb, have places to wash things, you know, or, or whatever. Yeah. Or you can take one of those. Uh, fantastic outdoor showers and you know with and so you rinse your stuff off hang it over the balcony and you're gonna be just fine this does make me That's, think like this yeah. this obsession with only carrying on uh bags is one that i don't quite understand unless you're changing a lot of planes because like you're on vacation like when we travel for work well it's, it's a cost like it's extra money now it didn't used to but now it does and this is the thing this is this is a whole system that needs to be redesigned because we are incentivizing the wrong (laughs) now now we've found some bad design and roman mars is here to tell you i'm here to tell you about the bad design we are incentivizing the wrong behavior that's right we should be paying to carry on bags and it should be free to check your bags because everything about oh tell me about everything about the process of of carrying on a bag through like Mm -hmm. getting through security getting on first finding your you know place in, in the overhead bin all of that oh, and, and the part where like suddenly you've gotten too many uh bags on the plane and there's no more space for them so everybody's yeah. like what do we do you gotta bring the bags forward and find somebody to handle it it's wasting everybody's time this whole thing should be flipped and as much as you want to make steffi choose between her two colleges of choice because which one's cheaper i want in in you like you're like you just want to force the system to like to value cheaper education <laughs> i want to yeah. force the system to like to change so that 
checked bags are free and carry-on bags cost money because it would totally change air travel. It would be so much better. I do not want to get on a plane first, but I pay to get on a plane first because of my stupid right. carry-on bag. Uh-huh. I, I want to pay to get on the plane last. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm going to be on there a long time. I hate being on a plane. Yeah, and so, but the only reason that keeps that keeps me incentivizes me to get on a plane first is that stupid carry-on bag. And if we just change the whole value proposition of this, air travel will be so much better for everybody. So I say, uh, stand your ground. <laughs> <laughs> Protest. Yeah. <laughs> put as much as you want. Yeah. Put all your carry-on bags into one big bag. And and check that thing. If you're you're not changing planes a lot, you're gonna be fine. Just like yeah. just just I'm just let's just I want carry-ons to to go away. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I I agree. I would much rather get on a, a plane and check all my bags and just have my like backpack with my computer yeah. in it. Like yeah. so much easier. It yeah, that's so what I easier. that's what I do when I can do it for sure. <laughs> but this is look, Greta is is in their parents' house and they're <laughs> going by their parents' rules. As long as you're living under my house, <laughs> you will not check a bag. As long as you are living in the basement underneath <laughs> the house part of my house, the cupboard under the stairs, I... <laughs> I so, say you just like tightly, you know, tightly roll things, split yeah. things between. It was a big um, moment for me. Like I kind of have a, you know, like the personal item, you get kind of two, you get your personal item and you get your roller yeah. bag mm-hmm. is to take those soft items from your suitcase that won't close that your roller bag suitcase and just like stuff them in your backpack. Oh, yeah. It's like split up the ideas. My backpack is always full of socks because I've got like my camera in there and my laptop in there and there's like hard things. And I'm like, no, you got to throw in some. Totally. Some some padding. It's like the styrofoam peanuts, except it's my socks. And you always wear the bulkiest items, you know, like if. Wear the bulkiest items or don't like this is this is a thing that I. I actually did take me a little while to learn. You don't have to bring all the bulkiest, like some stuff takes up more space. Yeah. So just like look and see like, oh, that hoodie's thinner than that hoodie. And I'm also, I'm going to Hawaii. So why am I bringing a hoodie? <laughs> I um, wear boots. Like I, since I was like a punk rock boots. kid, I always like to wear boots. Yeah. And so um, I feel comfortable in boots. And so you wear the boots. You don't pack yeah. the boots. That's yeah. just the way it is. Yeah. yeah. I, I get around all this by bringing like, by wearing the same outfit, Four or five days in a row, yeah. Which is is what is not what Greta wants to hear because that's not going to be helpful for them. And it really is what vacation is for: is to like do things that you wouldn't necessarily normally do, and and you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Hawaii is a chill place to that's wear right. the same thing over and over again. And also, they've got stuff for sale. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Which is, reminds me, this podcast is brought to you by Hawaii. They would like you to buy whatever you want there. <laughs> They've got everything. They think you shouldn't bring anything in your carry-on. Just come, buy everything, get a suitcase while you're there, and bring it back. <laughs> this podcast is also sponsored by Mid-Century Modern Toothbrush Holders. They're very skinny. <laughs> Bad idea. <laughs> also, this podcast is brought to you by the cheapest entree on the menu. You'll see it on Hank Green's plate every time. <laughs> This podcast is also sponsored by that one space chicken. When you're looking out into the velvety blackness and you see that one space chicken, your life will be made. <laughs> Nothing will ever look the same again. <laughs> this episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, 
I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. So listen, your toilet is massively gross, like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's Sustainable Toilet Cleaner Tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. All right, before we get to the news from uh, Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I want to ask a couple of more questions. Do you use Twitter, Roman? I do. Can I ask you a Twitter question? Yeah, sure. Okay. Go for it. This is from Nathan, who asks, what is Twitter? I don't have any social media and my parents and friends uh, never had Twitter. So I don't really have any frame of reference for what it is. What does everybody do on Twitter? Is it important? Why why does it seem like all the famous people are on Twitter? And why do they always seem to be arguing about stuff? (laughs) The best I can come up with is a name than specific sign off, Nathan. (laughs) 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 Trying to get something in there. Anyway. Uh, what, what is Twitter? What is Twitter? Why? Okay. Okay. <laughs> what is Twitter? What does one do on Twitter? Yeah. Is it very important? Those are my two favorite parts of the question. <laughs> what does one do on Twitter? Here's what one does on Twitter. You you send out short thoughts yeah. that are less than 280 characters, mm-hmm. which is like probably three sentences max. Yeah. And then you send them out and then people have responses to your short thoughts. And then you have you have a conversation that is limited and how much you can say at a time, which is maybe not the best way to do it, but it is, does create us a particular dynamic that is very Twitter. Yeah. Is it important, Roman? Mm, I'm going to say no in the capital I importantness of, of things. Yeah. Like if it did not exist, would the world move on pretty much as it is? And I would say it would. Yeah, However, right. as a source of um, sort of misinformation and, you know, like there was some, you know, different very uh important people who um were denied twitter at different times and it seemed to matter a lot um so in that sense um you know that it is important um were it all to disappear i i don't think the world would change all that appreciably and if that's how you measure importance but it's hard to it's hard to measure importance that's a good measure of importance What is the thing that would matter the most if it disappeared? Aside from like air, like that would be like the the main one. If the atmosphere disappeared, yeah. That, so the atmosphere is very important. I, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, besides things like gravity and whatever, right? I mean, I would say like human made. You know, in, internal combustion. Yeah, uh, would that would that would definitely. We've, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. If 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 all if internal combustion engines disappeared or like all of the gasoline disappeared, it would all kind of stop working mm-hmm. pretty fast. Or plastics, you know, if that stuff, you yeah. know, like things like that would be. Yeah, the computers would all stop working if there were no plastics. Mm-hmm. Really, immediately, silicon. So with Twitter, the 
a lot of people on Twitter, they probably don't need to be on Twitter, all the famous and important people that you reference. I mean, that's, that's sort of like mm-hmm. you sort of camp out a spot even if you don't really need it. And most of them really don't. And I find that people kind of go through these like you know, cycles of using Twitter when they need to promote right. versus times when they don't. And, and Yeah, it's not- I, I'd like to think of myself as that kind of person. But in fact, I'm a person who has used Twitter pretty much every day. <laughs> For pretty much the last 10 years. To me, it was it's the most natural social media platform. I'm not on Facebook. I don't sort of no. think sort of visually, so I'm not very good at Instagram either. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's the most like broadcasting, which is my sort of natural state of things. And as, as long as it right. stays in the realm of broadcasting, I, I have a thought, I present it. I'll take, you know, some feedback and engage with some of it, but it is not a two-way communication device. And when it does, that's when I think Twitter really breaks down. And if you can sort of just treat it as a place to just like put this missive out into the world of your thoughts and it amuses yourself and amuses a few others, that's sort of the idealized form of what Twitter is. Yeah. You know how you can have like away statuses? mm -hmm. Like there's a way, but then there's like versions of a way. I think I should have Twitter statuses and one of them should be, I'm talking, not listening. (laughs) That's the, that's where I'm at right now. Like, like whatever you say, I'm not going to respond to it because I'm not like, I'm just talking. I'm not listening. But then I, there should also be another one that's I'm just listening. I'm not talking, <laughs> which maybe more people should be in that mode more often. Yeah. I, this is it's a really interesting thing that like Twitter be like, and I, I think you kind of put your finger on something there, which is that it is a broadcast platform. It's not really a social media in that you're not trying to reach the people who you are social with. You're not mm-hmm. trying to reach friends or family like yeah. Instagram or Facebook might be more set up for. So it is definitely broadcast, and it is also like it. All of these things are so informed by their core audiences, uh, and and oftentimes those are informed by like who signed up first. So a lot of the structure of it is based on who was there first and what grew out of that. Now it's not all. There's certainly lots of uh, different sections and vibes on Twitter, but there are a lot of people who think that Twitter is very important because they are a group, a, a part of a group of people who imagine themselves as very important, Mm -hmm. just like politicians and journalists and, um, you know, people who do the broadcasty thing. And they all kind of have to be on Twitter. They are talking to each other. They are understanding what people are interested in and talking about so that they can talk about those things in their news articles and op-eds and continue this sort of like this part of the world's uh, like progress in imagining things differently. Mm -hmm. And that is important, but it also I, I feel like has sort of like coasted off on its own into a into a land that is pretty different from where a lot of people are. Yeah. But if you're like a like a sort of a a news consumer, a person who consumes yeah. a lot of news, then like you have coasted off into that land along with them. Yeah. Which I certainly have. Same. I kind of use it as a filtering device for like what people are talking about. Um, although it it has a real hit miss ratio that is gets really skewed sometimes um based off of that but i you know what is the article everyone's talking about for one thing but then occasionally like something will trend and you're like and it's trending because it's trending and that's trending because it's trending because it's trending and Mm -hmm. everyone needs to comment on a thing and yeah maybe people don't need to comment as much about anything (laughs) (laughs) i just want a button that changes my changes my twitter handle to hank green just just listening just yeah just I'm listening here just you know uh, <laughs> not, not in the talking mode you have a message after the beep yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's turned all of twitter into an answering machine <laughs> i read whatever's on twitter three days later that's what oh man that would be a great twitter just show me twitter three days later where i'm like i can't do anything about it now it's yeah. done happened yeah way less stressful that way. That's how everything used to be. It was the news three days later because I had to get on a horse to get to you. Yeah. It changes your dynamic with current events when you just wait and like just see how things play out. And I think that's probably like a good thing. Some some things like uh, it's good to know that, you know, President Lincoln has been shot, you know, like pretty immediately. Mm -hmm. But like Mm -hmm. a few things, um, it would be good if maybe you just let them digest instead of reacting to them. And Twitter kind of facilitates that quick reaction. And um, I don't know if it's really that helpful. (laughs) This next question comes from Peter, who asks, Dear Hank and Roman, 
with all of the news and excitement around the James Webb Space Telescope, it reminded me of a question my wife wanted to ask you. What's the difference between a telescope and a camera? <laughs> oh, interesting. I like it. Uh, d- dubious ruminations, highly encouraged and desired, not tailed with cotton, Peter Pumpkin Purveyor. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just capturing the image, right? That's the real difference. Yeah. So there is. So, like, what you are thinking uh, is that is that like a DSLR yeah. is a camera, but it's not really. It's a camera attached to a lens, and mm-hmm. the camera is the part that does the image capturing. Yeah. So the Hubble Space Telescope and the James Webb both have a number of different cameras or image image detecting devices. Um, and then they have a big set of lenses on the outside. But this is the question that you may be asking. What's the difference between all the lenses on a camera and all the lenses on a telescope or all the lenses on a microscope? And the answer to that is... Eh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're kind of all the same thing. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're kind of all the same thing. They, they, they do. They basically, what are they being used for? Yeah, <laughs> is the yeah. is the difference. Huh. I like yeah, that. Which I, I hadn't thought about until I read that question. <laughs> I was That's like, oh, question. so I kind of have a telescope. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not a very good one. That's right. <laughs> and it sits on top of my camera. <laughs> I, I, like it. I thought for a second, oh, a telescope, like you can look through it and see with your eye, but no, because obviously the, the Hubble Space Telescope, I cannot look through, through and see <laughs> with my eye. No one's doing that. That would be impressive. At L2 with the web, you know, you're not like out there, <laughs> beyond the orbit of the moon, hanging out, looking through, doing the Galileo thing, <laughs> drawing pictures and sending them back to Earth. I like that be question. a good job. <laughs> yeah, you'd be the first person to see the chicken, at least. Two chickens, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And you could tweet about it. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> That's all you could do. You can't come back to do interviews. <laughs> or you could do an interview. You'd have to like go up in front of the telescope and it could take a video of you. Yeah. But you have to be pretty far away. <laughs> <laughs> or you'd be out of focus. Uh, uh, Roman, I want to ask you one more question because I want to know if you know this story. And this seems like, you know, even though it's not really about design, it seems like a 99% invisible story. Janine asks, dear green guys. When I was younger, I had the pleasure of experiencing the seemingly ubiquitous experience of owning a colony of sea monkeys. The eggs came in a pouch, and you would put in water, and eventually little specks began to swim around. Yeah, I know how sea monkeys work. How did this become a thing? And do sea monkeys naturally occur in nature? <laughs> Why do they come in little pouches and uh, and that are given to irresponsible children? I need to know. Not quite a sea monkey queen, Janine. Do you know... <laughs> Anything about sea monkeys? I don't have this story at my fingertips. I know that sea monkeys are brine shrimp. They go through a yeah. sort of like a, a a stage where they can you know be desiccated and and uh, uh-huh. and still be viable. Yep. You add water to them, they open up. Um, that's all I know. Why they were given to children and why they uh, drew cute faces on them is uh, is not something I'm familiar with. Yeah, it. Uh... It was just a marketing thing. Yeah. This guy uh, figured out that you could you could combine sea monkeys and sea monkey food into a pouch, and that their eggs would hatch. And uh, and this guy, so we we did an episode of Journey to the Microcosmos about this, and we kept going further and further down the rabbit hole. And it turns out that this guy is was a legit Nazi. Oh. Like wow. he, like the sea monkeys guy took that money that he made from sea monkeys and he did almost exclusively Nazi stuff with it. And in fact, like he ended up being in legal trouble for like arms stuff. Oh my God. So like the most innocuous thing you can imagine. Yeah. The sea monkey. Yeah. Got milkshake ducked. Wow. That's, I, yeah. I need to know more about this story. I'm going to go find more about that. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, I was very, I was very surprised myself. Yes, um, it was. It was initially called Instant Life, and it was sold for uh, forty nine cents. But they changed. This guy changed the name to Sea Monkeys in nineteen sixty two, okay. and then he figured out that like comic book marketing was sort of a really inexpensive yeah. way to reach a lot of people, and he was became the kind of quintessential comic book marketer. Wow. And then in the sixties and seventies, so I also had Sea Monkeys growing up. Did you have Sea Monkeys? I never had them. They didn't ever really appeal to me. But other stuff uh, that it shared the page with on the back of the comic book 
um, I desperately wanted. I never could get those either, but x-ray specs and, yeah, um, yeah. and various uh-huh. other decoder rings and stuff. I wanted every single one of those things. Uh, never, <laughs> never managed to get those in my hands. Yeah. It feels a little bit like buying something on the internet. It's <laughs> very similar. <laughs> <laughs> that back in the day when you put a crisp $5 bill into an envelope, put yeah. a stamp on it and mailed it to some other child yeah. who well, had a playing card you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good time. Yeah, well-concealed cash is like how I did my first transactions across state lines. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Roman. It's time for the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. If you haven't listened to this podcast because you're just a Roman Mars fan, AFC Wimbledon is a third-tier English soccer team that my brother is obsessed with, and Mars <laughs> is a planet. It's the fourth yes. planet. It's cold. It's dusty. It's red. Um, <laughs> I know vaguely about AFC Wimbledon because I was, I was at my mom's 70th birthday party recently and so i was hanging out with um john mm-hmm. and the news is bad oh no they have it was it, this whole this whole year has been, been very a bad. real roller coaster because at the very beginning it was so, like yeah, the first year in which there was yeah. no relegation like risk and everything was doing mm-hmm. well it was a lot of ties but things were doing well yeah, and i was yeah. following along and then you know, like pick up in the last few months, and it's just yeah scary. Yeah, they, they have are they are currently in the midst of the longest no win streak uh, in the last like ten years of their league. Wow! So this whole- and they and they were up one to zero in the 80th minute, and then they lost. Oh. Soccer games, by the way, are 90 minutes long. They lost three to one. Oh my goodness! That's so there were like in the last ten minutes, the, the other team scored three goals. That's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking, and and I was in the in the house with John, and he was like, "Good thing I don't feel negative emotions about football outcomes anymore." <laughs> <laughs> so this whole season has been like, like a sort of blown up game that Wimbledon plays because right, yeah, you know, according to John, it's so notorious yeah. for like when they go yeah. up, you know, they, they can't score, score first. first. Then they oh, then they wow. lose, and the whole season they scored first, and now they, yeah they did well in the beginning, and now they just yeah yeah well it's, it's well, tough to hear. Um, it's not looking great. They're still out of the relegation zone as of this recording, uh, but only just. And and I thought that they won that game because my dad said, "Oh, AFC Wimbledon won," because he had just looked at it when there was eighty <laughs> minutes in, and he was like, "Well, I, like I assume that's going to go out okay." Yeah. Anyway, it's not great. But in the news from Mars, great news, very exciting, very interesting. Uh, the Perseverance rover is about to go on its first like real long drive. Yeah. So uh, it's going to drive. So it's been a, it's it's been a, there about a year. It's about to drive up to a delta that sort of spilled into the crater that it's in and to get there it has to sort of drive around this area that's sort of rocky and sandy they don't want to drive on it's gonna be a three mile long drive and they're gonna do that three mile long drive they're very specific about this and in in their language and how they talk about it it's gonna be faster than any rover has ever driven three miles before because they need it to sound like it's quite fast and it is quite fast but it is gonna take 30 days <laughs> to go three miles <laughs> <laughs> but that's very fast. It is. And there will be some stops along the way. Um, and it's it's a lot faster than how Curiosity would do the same thing because Perseverance can actually drive itself a fair amount where you just say, go here, and it can look ahead of itself and kind of choose a path that doesn't have a bunch of rocks that it's going to get stuck on or sand that's going to get stuck on. So it knows more about how to do stuff and we don't have to be in control of it as yeah. much. It's really cool. And the driving three miles is to get to this new place, is to study something in yeah. particular. Is it just to, to do three miles? What What is the... It's to get... No, yeah. <laughs> they don't want to just make it go. <laughs> no, it's to get to the delta. So, so a delta... Uh, so this is where a river flowed into a lake, basically. And that lays down layers and layers and layers of sediment and uh, is a great place to see the geological history of the spot by all those different layers. It's also potentially a great place to find things that you wouldn't expect to see, whatever those may be. Yeah. Um, obviously, deltas are are often a great place to on Earth to, to find fossils, to find evidence of, uh, you know, previous biologies, which is you know, a thing that perseverance would love to have happen yeah, to sure. just find like a chicken in there, but uh, <laughs> we're not, we're not like uh, NASA never says like sort of like says that goal yeah. because they do, they're not like we're not trying it. We're not, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. like you know, They've been burned before. Uh, but <laughs> they're all very, they're all very curious about how uh, common life is in the universe, and if it evolved twice in one solar system, that would be a pretty significant expansion of the 
uh, you know, going from an N of one to an N of two is a big deal. That is a very big deal. When you're dealing with a universe this big. So who knows? Uh, and it's a big solar system. There's other places we haven't been that are that are prime and interesting places for for life to maybe happen. So they're just harder to get to because they're under giant sheets of ice around <laughs> and moons around gas giants. Yeah. Um, but yeah, super uh, stoked for the for the Perseverance team doing doing this drive. Um, so keep your eye out over the next month. There's going to be a lot of movement on Mars. You can check on the map at JPL's website. Just search for rover drive probably you'll, you'll figure it <laughs> so out cool. you know how to use the internet yeah roman thank you so much for making a podcast with me i assume that everybody who listens to this knows about 99 invisible but if you don't you've heard enough that you're going to go check it out now by I, I assume i would hope so and i hope that <laughs> anyone's hearing this who is here because of me goes and checks out the rest of dear hank and john because it we really have- is the thing that gives my my me and my kids the most joy you know, just, that's so cool yeah, yeah i love <laughs> it i really do love it uh well i'm happy that you are uh have a productive relationship with your teenage sons <laughs> i am crossing my fingers that in 10 years i uh productively listen to podcasts <laughs> with a person who i have a good relationship with. yeah it's a nice thing and it's like one of those things that starts a little conversation we hear a thing then somebody reaches forward and, and pauses, pauses yeah. and says gave their answer of like how many lemons a person would be made out of or something and <laughs> and then they they unpause it and then they, we can yeah. we continue listening well, <laughs> if you're if you're listening mars twins i want you to guess how many chickens you think there could be in a <laughs> cubic light year before we'd notice it's <laughs> a good one okay. and then maybe we can have some astrophysicists comment on that as well <laughs> Perfect. be very curious to find out it was a real pleasure. Thank you so much. If you want to send us questions, you can do that. Our email address is hankandjohn at gmail.com. We don't have a podcast without your questions, so we appreciate everybody who sends them in. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom, our editorial assistant, who helps me with things like the fact somebody asked, we didn't get to this question, what percent foot am I? Like, what percent of my body is foot? The answer is about 3%. <laughs> so, Deboki helped answer that question for us. That's why we we need her. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't forget, forget to be, be awesome. awesome.